everybody. Welcome back to the College Football Uncensored Podcast, brought to you by Saturday Down South. I'm your host, Tyler Huck, and with me as always, my co-host and big-time winner over here. Oh, don't we're start. All, we're all winners when we have the Lord. <laughs> it's been a fun week, man. Um, maybe not for SEC basketball fans. <laughs> what happened? Uh, but some of these games have been awesome, man. Um, we were just talking before we recorded about the Arizona game last night. It kept me up until, I don't know, 1230 because I had the team total for Arizona and I needed What'd overtime to hit it. So, uh, but it was great. It was a winner and uh, it's been exciting, man. How was your week? It was good, man. I had a lot of fun. I, the Bama game pissed me off because it was like, it, they were going to lose that game either way, but it's like, how many fucking torn ACLs that we have to have in the postseason. Like just, you start the game with that. It was like, ugh. Um, so that was, that was frustrating. And then it was like, cause that game was like everything you love. If you love March madness and you're a casual yeah. fan is everything you hate to see. If you're a fan of one of the other teams playing just a fucking unconscious white kid. His name was Carmack. Cormack. Uh, yeah. As it would be, as it would be. Um, and Cormac went the fuck off. He hit like, like, I think his, his regular season uh, high or, or point total. Um, I don't know how to even phrase this. I'm an idiot. Like the, the most points he scored in any regular season game all season, regular season, right? Mm-hmm. 16. He had 18 in the first half. Um, and then it was, it was just whatever. But it was, was 29 it was so, total. Yeah. Tyler, at one point he hit a, a three in the corner that was so fucking outrageous that I like about like, I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done emotionally investing in this. I can't do this anymore. This is the worst. Um, but it was still like, it was a, it was a really frustrating season, but that game itself, like, because Bama lost so many games, they should have won that game itself. I didn't feel bad about because Notre Dame kind of hot, I guess, coming in and, and you just hit a, you, you can't stop a kid. that's like, it's like when they lost to a and it was like A&M shot 68% in the second half. This kid right. was like unconscious and like, so I didn't really, that didn't really bother me that much. It just kind of, you know, it kind of bums you out because now it's like softball season, I guess. Um, <laughs> hey, did you but, see uh, Florida State beat, beat that ass uh, the other day? No, Tyler, I was watching the NCAA men's basketball tournament. But, yeah, um, whatever, but, whatever. <laughs> I know you saw it. I did not. It was a Thursday <laughs> night, right? I don't know. They played Bama and came back and won in the last inning. No big deal or anything. Sick, dude. Um, Sick. We are hey, now you will be happy to know that I was at a wedding on Friday. Oh, I will and, not be happy to know that at all. No, no. And um, before I even told the guy that I was a podcast host for the SEC, we're talking. He's a Georgia fan, and he admits oh, to me before I even said anything. He goes, "You know what? Honestly, had they had their two receivers, they probably would have beat us." And I was like, "Sir, wow, oh, he's well, you know, little tip that's of the cat there." <laughs> Now, I want to be clear that those are Tyler's words and Tyler's friend's <laughs> words, not mine. So please stay out of my mentions. Um, I, I said, yeah, I said no, the I was like, yeah, I'm a pod- podcast host. No big deal. I'll, uh, I'll drop I thought you were going to say he knew us. Yep. Yeah, he did not. No, no, he didn't. Um, fair enough. I will say the the highlight of my weekend that I'm allowed to talk about on here is um, when I made that uh, joke about um, Brian Harson. Oh yeah, that, that one, was that was well. Good. Hmm? That was, I mean, so other than that, yeah, other than that, pretty pretty nice. What were your uh, what were your total impressions, if you don't mind me asking? I, I don't know. He's like sixteen hundred likes or something. I didn't I didn't look into all that. Now that's not my <laughs> job anymore. You know, I'll tell you another thing. I did. It's since it's not my job to do social media anymore. I I relaxed and enjoyed myself instead of stressing about having to do those matchup breakdowns because, you know, know yourself, know your worth. There's that. In your opinion, I guess we could probably take out the Kentucky losing to St. Peter's because that is just an all-time upset. Okay, so Jack Mack actually from Unnecessary Roughness, our buddy from over at Barstool, he he seems to think that this is the biggest, possibly the biggest upset of all time. Just because really? the disparity, like, because I think Kentucky spends 12 times more on, on their basketball budget a year than St. Peter's does and honestly if you told me that I, when i first read it i thought it was i was like that can't be right it's gotta be way higher <laughs> right yeah i think the 16th seed over virginia considering it was the first and only time that's ever happened has got to be number one but but i mean i guess if you're purely talking on investment into facilities and the program in general on a monetary basis 
Yeah, you'd have to think the spread between Kentucky and St. Peter's is probably the the, the most of all time. Not the spread. Well, the spread of the game was 18 and a half. Okay. I just, I'm just talking about the, the spread and, and spend and money between the two programs. The, I mean, I, I stand by this part of it, and that is this is the most boring school I've ever researched ever in my life when looking up their um, their their info. It was incredibly boring. Well, they're like a tiny school in Jersey City. I I'm mean, just saying it was boring as shit. That's all I'm saying. I mean, yeah. like there was there was nothing cool. Like they're the only D ones. They're two miles west of NYC. They won a national title in quotes by winning the 2017 CollegeInsider.com postseason tourney. There you in go. 2017. Yeah. A lot of you know returning talent. I'm sure from the 17 team. Sure. Yeah. With COVID, <laughs> everyone's allowed to stay for an extra eight years. Um, yeah, that was crazy. That was crazy. And you hate it for, you hate it for Kentucky fans, but it was kind of like a glimpse or like a, you know, some foreshadowing into what we ended up seeing all weekend. Cause it was crazy. Yeah. So they, uh, they are a, what is this? The second straight year that a 15 seed has taken out a, uh, second ranked sec. Cause Florida didn't, didn't Earl Roberts, or I guess they wouldn't have been the two, but didn't no, Earl Roberts, um, took out. I they took out Florida, Florida, didn't they? But Florida I, I wasn't guess they wanted to see them. I don't think, right? But they they probably played him in the second round. But still, but I I, I knew it's like it's the like I know you're only talking about like still the first round, but like you get to the second round. This is the fifth straight year because Baylor gets beat by North Carolina. Shout out to our buddy Adam Spencer who actually called oh. that. Um, yeah, but but like, the way that went down, did you did you watch it? I know I did not. I heard I heard like UNC, UNC was up, was up twenty five, and Baylor right. had basically came back and was leading at one point. How? <laughs> what happened? They were leading. Well, yeah, well I, they were either tied or leading. I can't because they went to OT. I believe I'm trying to remember this now. No, um, they didn't get but, OT. They they won by like seven. I think they went to OT though. I'm pretty sure they did. UNC came back or or uh, Gonzaga came back all the way. Or sorry, Jesus, Baylor they did not. Yeah. All the way back from 25 down. I mean, it was ridiculous. And the refs were like, a lot of people were talking about the refs were like very in favor of Baylor. Um, they were just bad in general. And most college basketball refs are. I mean, it's yeah. it's it's pretty bad to watch college basketball, honestly, with the, the amount of fouls. Okay, so um, and I don't want to bring this up about the Bama thing because that's not why Bama lost. But there were so many, so many bad calls. Like, it's basketball and softball. And I love watching college softball because it's it, like – it's so much fun. There's a lot of action and it's sure it can be dominated by like one pitcher. Right. But like, so sometimes there's like low scoring games, all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, there's not anything, there's not any sport I've ever watched besides college basketball and, and college softball where the umpires or whoever's in charge, like referees, whatever you want to call them, whoever's in charge gets more caught up in the moment and with their calls than these two sports. So, I mean, the, well, the women's college world series is like, there's balls in the other batter's box. Like, <laughs> Nope, not even close, guy. And this shit, ugh, anyway. No, but to me, too, though, like, they can control the whole game. Like, there's no other sport, like a a ref in basketball, like, it can literally control a whole game. How many points are put on the board as long as people are hitting free throws? Um but man, you know this is what this is what the NCAA gets when they 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 employ people that are, they're just they do it part time. This isn't a job, or it's a it's a part time job for them. They have other other jobs, and so um, yeah, you're, you can't be surprised that you know there's the game and and how fast the game is these days. You know more than ever that these guys just can't they can't be right. So. Yeah, I, did that. I thought there was a couple of them that was like, okay, it seems like they're in position, but either way, like, admittedly, I don't know shit about basketball. Jeff, Jeff texted me some shit in the beginning of the Bama game. Hold on, I'm going to read it to you guys just to, because it was so over my head. And it was like, hold on. It's worth it, I promise. It's probably not. Um, oh, we're not- talking about the Bama game, right? So Bama's losing yep. early. He says, uh, I can't hold on. Clark and I, dang it, hold on. <laughs> this is riveting. I mean, honestly. He, yeah, sorry, guys. I can't, um, he I can't. said, UGA not being a, uh, or Indy's white player is so intricate on the back cut ratio. It's not high enough for me. Regular rotation of three to five, three to five white players is killing Bama. And I was like, I don't know what any of that means. And he said, <laughs> they run a lot of four out Villanova kind of sets instead of Ivy League motion type stuff. And I was like, again, 
I don't know why you would have typed that so, out and assumed that that clarified it for me. So is Jeff a big basketball guy or does he, did he read an article and like, is he trying to be a big basketball guy? No, no. Jeff actually knows a lot about everything. It's obnoxious. Like, like, like watching the Olympics with him, it's fucking astounding. It, it's like, so actually, no, she's actually one of the top uh, curlers in the world. And you're like, you don't know that. And he's like, I a thousand percent do. She's from East St. Louis, Missouri. And I'm like, oh my God. Uh, <laughs> So but also I got to give, I got to give one shout out. I know it's the women's tournament, um, which I'm not sure how many of our listeners have been paying attention to, but Oklahoma state's um, new head coach. I know he doesn't, I don't sure if he even listens to the podcast, but a, a college teammate of mine, Daniel Heflin, is also a semifinalist to make it on the bachelor. Very attractive young man. Um, his wife, uh, JC Hoyt or Heflin. I don't know. Maybe they're engaged. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's his wife. JC Hoyt has now been named the new head coach of Oklahoma State basketball, which that's an awesome, huge, huge. Uh, anytime we want to go to games, I'll, I'll hit him up. We can go. Nice. Yeah. So, congrats. Yeah. That's cool. Um, so, obviously, Kentucky loses, Alabama loses, LSU. I, although, even though they were a three and a half point favorite, I don't that think was it's weird. Huge, yeah. Huge um, shock that they lost. I mean, they didn't have their head coach. In the second round, Tennessee loses to the number 11 to see Michigan as a seven point favorite. Um, this was the Rick Barnes bet that we told everybody about. You, you can't bet on Rick Barnes in the tournament. We made um, it past week, the first weekend once since 2008. Yeah. And they played Longwood. It's real okay, tough well, be, okay. there. Yeah. Well, Longwood's, I mean, they're not bad if you read the <laughs> report, but. Uh, um, Miami blows out number two, Auburn. So now here's the deal. I was on fire with some bets this weekend. I thought I, I want to, before I start to be a fan, let me say to Auburn fans everywhere. I thought it was awesome watching Auburn fans, even on Saturday or Sunday. I thought it was awesome how much they showed out for Auburn basketball this year. And, yeah. you know, like, let's be clear. Like the fans didn't want Harson out. That was a situation with the boosters. But I thought it was great to see how supportive they were of basketball, how supportive they got of like, you know, gymnastics because it was like SUNY Lee, um, mm. all that kind of stuff. And, and really all season with this team, which was like, I think that any team with Bruce Pearl can, can has the potential to do this. But really with like the personality on this, like they had on this team, with like Katie Johnson, and then you have a guy like Jabari, Jabari Smith and, and um, you know, and, and, a, and a coach like Bruce Pearl in general. They had one of those kind of personalities that's similar to like an LSU 2019 football, right? Like where it's like they were hard not to pull for. I will also say their fans at times made it very difficult to pull for them um, because of how arrogant they became very early on. And then you see kind of how them, like they were stumbling toward the end. I still thought they were good enough, like in a setting like this, where it's just like win or go home. I thought they were good enough to rally and they had enough talent and depth to, to win. So great season bottom line yep. but it was fucking hilarious that they lost and they got their ass beat and the doors blown off and had to leave greenville and even even when they started the acc chance i was like this is heaven this is like, <laughs> i missed out on this hey, bet. I live bet it. out in the tournament now i will say they are they are but i mean like my god it was it, like I, I like everything went wrong for him the moment kessler had his second foul it like it just th things went south, but it was. I had I had some fun on Twitter. I'll say that. I noticed. Yeah. Um, so you know we now we move into the Sweet Sixteen. Um, obviously Arkansas, who's had two close games. Uh, I would say they what they beat Vermont by four or five, three or four. That was something a like that. that game too, though. Yeah, it was. Um, and then they beat New Mexico State who then uh, lost their head coach to Mississippi State. So there's an SEC tie there. Their head coach goes, I, want, I do want to mention one more. It looks like South Carolina is targeting Chattanooga's coach, Lamont Paris. Yeah, um, yeah. So before we get into the, the hires that were made and then we get our guests on, um, we got a Sweet 16 matchup. Gonzaga, number one overall seed. The Zags against Arkansas, Gonzaga, nine-point favorite. That game is being played in San Francisco, so may as well be a home court for Gonzaga, unless Arkansas fans travel, which I wouldn't doubt. Any thoughts on that game yet, or have you not? Have we not uh, dove in? Got feeling? I just I've watched I watched Gonzaga play a couple times this year. Um, obviously, 
mostly against St. Mary's Mount St. Or yeah, St. Mary's like we talked about before. Um, but this is a team and I understand this is, this is, it's different and how far, you know, December is from like where we are now. It's a team that Bama beat by almost double digits. Okay. Like in Seattle. I, I just think that like, I said this a while ago and I don't remember if it was with Adam Spencer versus Connor on one of our YouTube videos, but it was the whole point of it. I was trying to say was like, we talk about this every single year with Kentucky, how it's like they have this ability to kind of catch fire at the right time and, and get hot in like late February, early March, and then and go through the tournament because of the talent. I, I really do think Arkansas is, is, I don't know, like person for person, if they're as talented as, as, um, as Gonzaga, but I do think Eric Musselman will have them ready. And the way he played, like, I mean, like the way he had them out there on, on, like they played, they played a horrible game offensively this past weekend, and they still looked fantastic, um, and still were able to win that game and, and and pull away from that. Not fantastic, they look fantastic, but they they were able to pull away and win. I don't think Gonzaga's tough. I just don't. I, I was really impressed with how they won on Saturday, or or what was I guess it was Sunday. Like True Timmy Jimmy. had, I'm so fucking tired of looking at that dude. He looks like every every single cop from like a 1970s like buddy cop series ever just ever ever he he looks exactly like the kid that he is on gonzaga but that like played in your rec league yeah it's like just overly aggressive but somehow is like he looks like an oaf but he's somehow like super athletic right and is like dominating well and you're just like what the one, hell is wrong really with this guy? i just hate him yeah well he also he also like because gonzaga's reached that point to where it's like it's not a fun story anymore we want yeah. them to lose mm-hmm. and and so you know, and like, they still haven't won a championship yet, and we still feel that way. Well, it's, I mean, it's hard to win an NCAA championship. I'll say that in basketball. Um, yeah. But like watching them and and Timmy like kind of like rally, like because they were down early. Like I mean, they looked and they looked bad. Like who were they playing again? Um, Gonzaga played. It's on uh, Sunday. Memphis, right? And Memphis, by all means, like probably has. You know, from a starting five standpoint, it, it's hard to say this because of because of strictly just because of Chet Holmgren, but you would think Memphis might have as much talent as Gonzaga, like on paper at least, from like a recruiting standpoint. I, I just I don't I didn't think Gonzaga was that tough at times this this year. They looked really tough and looked apart this weekend. I I think that it's not going to matter where, where they're shooting, and the biggest thing is like I I don't know like Adam Spencer was pretty clear about this that Arkansas is big men. Are not going to guard, like match up well with Timmy and and Holmgren, but I still say they have the ultimate equalizer, which is JD Note. And mm-hmm. if that kid can go off and and get thirty, he's going to keep you in every game that you play. So I like it. Yeah. Well, um, before we move on, I'm going to have you guess the big upset in the next round. Okay, real quick. Also, the, the thing about the brackets, man. I think I'm like ranked five point two millionth. No big deal. Um, there were 161 perfect brackets after Thursday, after day one. After Friday, so the first round, there were only two. And by Saturday, there were zero, which is crazy. And, and for women, it was the same thing. After going into Saturday, there were two, and then there were, there were none after Creighton upset Iowa. So um, picking the one for the next round, you said? Yeah. Like, I think, I don't know if it's going to be a huge upset, but in my bracket, at least, I have Houston beating Arizona. So that'd be a five over one, not a huge upset, but Arizona's, I mean, they're a talented squad. Um, yeah. I mean, do you they're think St. Peter's can favorite. do it again? No, I don't. I don't. I wish they would. How, how, again, though, how about the fact this is the fifth straight year, the fifth straight year where you've had, you've had, um, what do you call it? Uh, the defending national championship, not make it to the sweet 16, not make it out of the first weekend of, of play, which is, is crazy to me. I don't – so UCLA is a two-point favorite. I don't know if that's that big of an upset. I don't think anyone's going to beat Kansas right yet. I, I, I'm going to say Arkansas, man, and I'm biased. But I just – I've watched I've watched both these teams play for most of the year. A nine points, hammer the fuck out of that. All right. So there Love you that. go. Two hires, and then we're going to get to our guests. Uh, UF hired 36-year-old former San Francisco head coach Todd Golden. Um, I don't – I know that he's a big analytics guy and apparently he's an offensive guru. I did find it odd that it, he was there for three years and went 57 and 36. It's not exactly like that great, but yeah. I don't know. Um, they did go 24 and 10 this year, made it to the tournament. Um, this guy, uh, 
I mean, obviously young, he's 36. Um, used to work at Auburn, actually, former director nice. of basketball operations. So he's been in the SEC. Um, his team lost to Murray State. Um, and that was who LSU hired was Mike McMahon, former Murray State head coach, 43 years old, seven seasons at Murray State. He was the first coach in school history with three seasons of 25 plus wins, third coach in school history to have a 30 win season, um, made it to the NCAA three times, one the, went to the round of 32 twice, including one with John Morant, who's, you know, the biggest thing in the NBA right now. So um, I think LSU fans, you know, Scott Woodward going out, trying to make a big hire. Seems like a pretty good hire. Um, I know it's, he seems to have a lot more accolades behind him than the Todd Golden hire, but I've also heard Golden is a, a sneaky good hire as well. So I have nothing to say. Love it. Love it. Speaking of Florida, Emory Jones back in the portal. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> They did start spring or yeah, spring camp, which is cool. They also uh, got, a, I think, either crystal ball or got a commitment. They may have gotten a commitment from a um, uh, what do you call it? A five star number two quarterback in the country. And we also need to talk about the fact that Tennessee signed. They got a commitment from a five star quarterback, and this is the kid that we heard rumors about with the eight million dollar nil yes. deal, right? Nico. Can you pronounce his name? I just go. I call him Nico. Okay, love that. Um, I think this is huge, and and like reading some Nico. Iamalea Eva. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sorry I put your name. It was not Perfect. on purpose, obviously. But this kid, um, he said for his commitment, it was decades in the making. Or for Tennessee, his commitment was decades in the making. He's the program's fourth highest rated commit ever. And I think this is a huge deal, strictly because of the fact that he said, of course, like the NIL stuff helped, right? Like $8 million is $8 million. Um, let's see here. Signing a, like this is an announcement Tennessee is again is relevant on the national stage. And I told you this before, like this is where they used to recruit. Like this used to be a hotbed for Tennessee. Um, the, the teams who've signed a composite five-star quarterback since 2010, Bama has had five, Clemson four, Ohio State three, A&M three, Georgia two, Penn State. These are all teams that have competed in, in like, you know, in significant amounts of rele- significant amounts of relevant relevance. Um, and there's more to it, especially, and we can, we can kind of break some of that down later, but like the fact that he, he was very vocal about the fact that it wasn't just the money and it was the fact that Josh Heupel and his offense are what directed him to and convinced him to go to Knoxville, especially from that far away from home. That's huge. And the fact that he's yeah. able to do that after just a seven and six year and year one, even bigger. And, and I, and I love it. I, I think it's a, I think it's great for Tennessee. Um, and I think it says a lot about that program and where, where they're going to be uh, very, very soon. Yeah. Exciting stuff, man. Exciting yeah. stuff in Knoxville. Should we bring on our guests? Talk a little NFL. Yeah, so we're going to talk about um, just the blunder that's been going on in Atlanta. And maybe it isn't a blunder. We're going to bring on Los Medina and our producer, Dan, Dan Matthews, both from 6A The Fan in Atlanta, uh, right after the break. All right, everybody, we're back with the cat man himself, Carlos Medina from 6A The Fan, and producer Dan. Hi! Producer Dan. <laughs> fellas, fellas, what's going on tonight? Uh, let's see, we're now... What eight hours away since we learned that Matt Ryan is no longer going to be uh, an Atlanta Falcon, and so you know, as as your audience continues to consume this, just kind of go, all right, we're now twelve hours, we're now twenty four hours, now there, it, it, but it's still going to shock you when we start getting down to the nuts and bolts of this thing, right? Yeah, it's been a weird week in Atlanta. I mean, the, you, you yeah. talk about we, we obviously we're kind of a regional show, but I think a majority of SEC fans, a lot of them root for the Braves and maybe some root for the Falcons as well. So pretty relevant to the to the listeners. I mean, what a week you got basically the two cornerstones of Atlanta for the last decade plus. I mean, Matt Ryan, even longer that are gone in a week. Um, but if let's Dick start with- would have packed up and left town. I would have killed myself. And like that's just flat out. Well, we don't advocate for that. Yeah, let's not do that. Yeah. Well, I don't yeah. know. You never know. Just a joke, guys. <laughs> <laughs> As um, now you're having to add the disclaimer. I'm right. not actually looking to do you have to do this. <laughs> All right. Well, let, let's just start with the big news then today. Um, I was not necessarily shocked that Matt Ryan got traded. Well, let's let's actually rewind a little bit with the Deshaun stuff. So it went down there because you had very you had Kyle Pitts come out, basically hint that something major was about to happen, then he deleted it. You had uh, local people uh, in Atlanta that are in sports start to hint about it on Twitter that the Sean was a sure thing. And then all of a sudden now the Falcons are in real trouble here at, at the QB position. So what happened with that whole situation to, to your knowledge, Lewis? The timeline goes like this. 
So about a week and a half ago, the Atlanta Falcons negotiated uh, a way to get the base salary dollars on Matt's contract down by giving him a bonus. This is when we call, you know, the, he restructured the contract. Well, basically he was scheduled to make 16 million. Let's give you a check for 14. Let's spread out that num- uh, number over the next couple of years. And that's how you get the cap down. That's how you play those games. They had gotten that thing done. And then they got a phone call that weekend from Deshaun Watson, his representation about wanting to talk to Atlanta about playing. And so at that point, they didn't submit that paperwork to the league. They just said, we're going to sit on it and see what happens here. And I think that was a smart thing to do. If Deshaun Watson calls and he wants to play for your team, you got to take the shot. And so they did. We rode with it. And I'm fairly certain that Atlanta won this thing until last Friday. Because what happened with the Cleveland Browns is a very simple way to explain it for your audience. The most money that anyone has been guaranteed on an NFL contract is $150.7 million. For instance, you have Patrick Mahomes who has a $300 million contract, but only $147 million is guaranteed. All right. So that's what it was. The Cleveland Browns took the previous record of $150.7 million and added 53% to it. They said $230 million guaranteed. This is what we're doing. And, and 80 million more. 80 million more dollars. No one's ever done that. And no one in the rest of the league went ahead and said they would do it. So that is how the Falcons went from probably first place to second place in Cleveland, who was the first team that was removed from this, was removed from the equation and then got right back in. It's, it's called the money whip. When I got to get your attention, I use the money whip for you to pay attention to me. And that's what they did. That's how they did it. It works on Lions and Tigers. It works on NFL quarterbacks, too. Same. The thing that gets me is, is a, I mean, I guess Cleveland is so desperate at this point because how many years has it been that they go on and they draft these QBs and none of them ever work, but two, doesn't this piss off the rest of the league that someone gave this big of a guaranteed contract? Cause now there's a precedent here. Oh yeah. It's an incremental league typically. And, and what we've seen, remember when Matt Ryan got his initial contract, we all went, wow, $30 million contract. Oh my God. Well, now we're in a league with $40 million contracts. That's the NBA stuff. Yeah, it, it's the incremental move up. Well, the guaranteed dollars have not, have incrementally moved up. Uh, Dak Prescott, I believe, got like 142. And then the next guy got 145. And then 150 uh, is, is what we saw with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, they went way beyond it. And so you talk about setting that precedent. It's, it's kind of legal in that way. If you say the quarterback should be guaranteed, even 200 million, that's now a new level in the NFL. And it's, it's a, it's a crazy thing that they did, but they took the shot. That's what they did. Wow. Uh, All right. So then that leaves now, obviously during all that, this is a very public thing that is playing out with the Falcons and Deshaun Watson, obviously then for the Matt Ryan stuff. Yeah. Right. Perfect. (laughs) Gives you perfect leverage when it doesn't work out for you. Um, the the I guess and Twitter is a, a very small fraction of the universe. We get that, but there's a lot of talk on Twitter about how Oh Los, what do we say about Twitter? It's not a real place. There you go. <laughs> They're like, look at look at what the Bra- how the Braves handled Freeman. And look how this played out. And look how big of a, you know, kind of a laughing stock stock that the Falcons front office and Terry Fontenot mm-hmm. are for letting this happen. Is your is your opinion, you know, that? Is, is it, did they kind of make a fool of, of themselves? No. And, and I will tell you this, if, if we were all in that same situation and I told you that Deshaun Watson called with interest of playing with your team, if that ever got out that the Falcons decided, no, I think they get more criticism for that. Uh, this was an opportunity yeah. for a 79 year old owner. Remember Aaron, Arthur Blank is 79 years old. He wants to get this thing. There's a limited amount of time. There's a finite time here. He wants to get one of these things done, and Deshaun Watson accelerates all of it. It makes it more possible faster. Uh, if you're t- just talking about a regular quarterback, uh, comes in the league, and it might take him five to six, seven years to really get it to then play at a championship level. All right, now we've got a owner getting near 90. Like, that's, that's, that's a serious deal. And so this was really about accelerating the situation. What happened with the Braves, completely different. And that is because Freddie Freeman's ownership on March 11th, the Friday night, went to Alex Anthopoulos. This was all done in the Buster only uh, interview that was, you could find last week from ESPN, as far as documenting the timeline, we had gotten word that the Dodgers were getting involved. Freddie Freeman's representation went to the best general manager in all of baseball and said, pay us on five years at this or six years at this. And you have one hour to do it. And the best GM in baseball said, no, you're not going to clown me that way. I am going to go find somebody else. And that's what he did. And so it, yeah. it's really two different complete scenarios. Mm-hmm. I think one where 
the Falcons did their due diligence and that was going to cost them, mm-hmm. Matt Ryan. The Braves basically said, if you're going to put us this ultimatum where I might lose Olsen and Freddie, I got to take the sure thing. And that's Matt Olsen because your agency is giving me ultimatums and that's not how I work. And I think, to oh, also- by the way, he had better numbers than, than Freddie last year. Like, I mean, it just, you just don't have a nostalgia effect of it. And like, which I understand, like everybody wants him to resign. I like what you said about it. Like what, what Anthopolis is trying to do and what he's been doing. Like, I mean, like, cause it, of course we're going to kind of second guess anytime you lose a, a fan favorite, like he's, he is the, the most favorite, I guess, what Braves players since shipper. Hand oh, down. certainly. Certainly. Yeah. Easily. So like, like in the longevity's had there, cause there's, there's, and this is Atlanta sports in general, but there's so many of these like guys that are up for like one to three years that you love. Like, I mean, Frank Hoare, his rookie year, Hayward, when he first mm-hmm. got up, like things like that. But you look at a guy that made all of the right moves to get your first title less than a calendar year ago. And when you kind of take a step back, it's not like it doesn't seem as drastic and as bad. Like maybe maybe this guy knows what he's doing. Well, in, in you know, kind of like build off that point you just made there, Chris, I think that's exactly it is they have the built in clout of winning the world titles. Mm-hmm. So, of course, anything they do, it's going to be all right. This guy built it. I mean, you know, it wasn't just the moves that he made to win that world title. It was the fact that every single guy that they got either right before or right at the deadline all factored in winning the world title for the Braves last year. So, of course, there is that built-in trust. With the Falcons, it's been even before, during, and after with Thomas Dimitrov, it's been you don't draft well, you don't build a roster very well, you get into situations like this, you overspend for people, and you find yourself being emotional, really. And I think that that's probably low. So, I mean, back me up on this or, you know, go against me on this, if you will, um, that people look at it with Deshaun Watson is they're like, okay, here's an owner getting emotional again. He's had the Falcon for Life comments. He's had all these different types of things. And now he's completely just shoving his franchise quarterback aside to be able to go after a guy who may or not may or may not be suspended for a good chunk of the season. Right. Well, I, I would point this out. And this is me trying to I'm not trying to fence it here. Um, I'm trying to be fair about this because the golden years for the Atlanta Falcons have been under Arthur Blank and most notably Matt Ryan. This was a franchise that until 2008, and 2009 had never had back to back winning seasons in their history. Crazy. That, which is just insane when you think about it, that that, that was, it, they came in in the sixties. Uh, so, so this has been the best time for them. Now there have been some issues where I think largely the panty, the pandemic and the drop in the salary cap, what it did, it happened at the worst time for the Falcons because they had a mature team where they had guys that they were paying at the top of the salary cap. And once that number came down, it crushed them over two years, what they could add. And so when Thomas Dimitrov built the roster, it was the with the intention of, well, we're always going to have about a $210, $220 million salary cap, and so we'll have room and we can add something. Oops, it went to 180 That That's how we got into this bad situation. And so if you want to talk about moving forward, I think a lot of it comes down to Terry Fontenot and having to draft well and having to develop guys and having to find cheap talent. And that's going to start with five picks in the top 90. You've got five picks in the top 90 now. You need to come away with some players, some guys that are foundational pieces. Were you shocked that, that Matt Ryan only got a, a, they only got a third round pick and that was it for Matt Ryan or, or no? No, I think it was a timing issue, Tyler. Um, I think a lot of it came down to Washington had already had their guy. Seattle was fine with Locke. Denver was already taken care of. The, the last person really out there that was still searching was Indianapolis. And there was only one guy still available and he wasn't going to be on the roster. And that was Matt Ryan. And so I think a lot of it came down to that player at number 82 should be a starter for your team. And whether that's going to be... Has to be. Yeah, it has to be. Uh, whether that ends up being a receiver or a linebacker, whatever, you're going to get a 21-year-old who should be starting and playing for you for the next five, six years, and that's your payoff for Matt Ryan at 37 years old going on 38 next year. I don't know. I mean, maybe stop drafting guys from the Pac-12 or Mountain West. Maybe that we just, could be, Thank you. Yeah, could may, not be more that, of an anti-Pac-12 podcast. Yeah, in, yeah. But go <laughs> on. I mean, that's – you know, there's, there's nothing that I love more than, you know, of, uh, hey, we need defensive starters. Here, we're going to get a guy from Washington State. It's like, yeah, get a guy from the conference that is not known for physical football when you need physicality on your football team. That's probably a good idea. I, I, it's an oversimplification, but if you're talking about trench warfare and, and in the trenches, nothing tr- produces the best guys in the country than the Southeast. That That's where you get it. Now, if you want to tell me, go get a cornerback from Washington, we can make that argument. But if you're telling me I need the bullies up front, I'm getting them out of the Southeastern and the ACC. 
Yeah. But that's never been a thing the Falcons have done. I think that's one of the things that fans get so infuriated with because if you know you take a step back and you look at it, and, and I don't know the actual numbers on it, and maybe they're not as skewed as, as you think they are. But like when you talk about like I, I, me and Tyler joked about this a couple weeks ago, and and they rarely draft Georgia players, it seems like, which which hey, seems kind of hey, odd. Hey, hey, they they signed Lorenzo Carter today, so watch it. Got low Carter. Lorenzo Carter, 2013 graduate. Um, huge pickup <laughs> for them from Norcross High School. But the fact is that I'm saying like we looked at a, a mock draft and this is strictly a mock draft, but it was kind of like, you know, a, a microcosm of, of like what the Falcons have done forever. And we were laughing about it because I thought before today they should have gone DB. Get, get another shutdown corner. If that's where you're already going, then go there and get, get a defensive back. Fine. And this is also before any of this stuff happened with, with Calvin Ridley when we were reading this. Um, and there's three defensive or there's three DBs that are considered first round picks, right? Sauce Gardner, Derek Stingley, and the kid from Washington. And I remember looking at, at Tyler and I go, you just, you take a guess at which one the Falcons are projected to take. And sure as shit, it's the kid from Washington. So <laughs> I, like, it, do you think that something like that changes? And we could talk like draft strategy in general with the Falcons, but like you look at the quarterback class from this group, it's pretty bad. And so Outside of Malik Willis, who is worth getting at, at that spot if you're the Falcons? And in general, who do you who what quarterbacks do you see going in the first round? Um, you know, like off the board after round one, I guess. Well, let me start here because last year my frustration point with the Falcons, uh, there was two two things. The first one um, was that there is a dedication and there's credit to Terry Fontenot for it for best player available. And even though tight end is not an impact position as far as if I've got the best one in the league in my Super Bowl contender, well, no, it's it's a nice thing to have. And when he goes for a thousand yards, that's great to have. But it is not franchise changing as far as a left tackle, pass rusher, quarterback. This draft, I now find myself going, well, I'll take any of those. I, I was big on, on Trayvon Walker at eight. I don't think he's going to be there anymore. Um, oh. I, I, I talked about him two months ago when I started going through his tape. Uh, you could talk to me about Charles Cross, a left tackle over at Mississippi State. We can we can go there. But I am becoming around to now that I've been more into the quarterbacks. I am more on the Malik Willis train than I was 48 hours ago because I'd watched some games, but I hadn't studied anything. And now that I have, I'm like, OK, that's that's a local kid who's doing a lot of things space wise that is now coming into the NFL. And, and I think Thomas Dimitrov, he was a guest of the station a couple of weeks ago. He said something really smart. He talked about Matt Ryan, but he says the league's changed. Now we're looking for these guys with movement skills because it's important to be able to create space. That's what he does more so than anybody. Matt Crowell might be a little bit of a cheaper option, maybe back into the first round. I, I think Kenny Pickett will find his way into the first round as well. But those are the only three as of right now that I feel very comfortable saying those are first round draft picks. Yeah. So let's just assume, because I, I think now the Falcons have probably the worst roster in the NFL, if not, you know, bottom three. Um, so let's assume they have the top pick next year. You've got a couple, in my opinion, game-changing players. Would you rather go a guy like Will Anderson, who could be a generational pass rusher? Or if you wait at QB, go, you know, a, a Bryce Young or CJ Stroud or something like that. Okay, first off, I like CJ Stroud a lot more. I'd have to get into that tape. Bryce Young is a hood ornament. Okay. That is the end Ooh. of our interview. Now let me and let me point and let me point like this, this thing out. Let me tell you why. And and Chris, you've seen enough of his games. You know he's a talented yeah. player. The deal is, if you want to tell me the difference, and, and it's a size issue, uh, the reason yeah. why I like DJ Moore uh, ahead of Calvin Ridley in that draft, and I had him as a higher rated guy, DJ Moore was doing it at 225, Calvin Ridley was 190. And so it just kind of restricted some of the stuff you felt comfortable doing with him. When you talk about a Malik Willis, he's doing it at like a 221, 222 size. He's a, he's a big, thick kid. Bryce is 190. That's yeah, 30 pounds feet. different in the league. Yeah, it's it's yeah. a big change. And so as, as talented as I think he is, and yeah, I think he'll get bigger, 5'11", 190 scares me as far as playing with a, a bunch of big dudes. And so C.J. Stroud's a little bit more, uh, I, I would say, a little bit more conventional if we start talking about these guys at the top. I will also say the fact that, like, and like, you know, on Twitter, I will not ever, I will never, never admit this, but I will say, like, Bryce <laughs> is a dude that, like, his size and stature every time he got hit especially with knowing what we had on that offense or like what, what that team was i mean that whole team as you put it is was kind of a hooded ornament in my opinion because I, and I, I don't think people really understood that especially after the sc championship game because it was like okay bama just dominates this this defense we heard nothing you know but great things about and just bama is back to being bama like always a week before they went four overtimes against auburn 
right? Like, I mean, we saw them give up seven sacks. We saw them should have lost to LSU multiple times, Mm. but that whole team was basically just the best player in the country on offense and the best player in the country on defense. And then whoever else was on, like on the field, every time Bryce gets hit, you worry about him getting injured because he's six feet, 190. Like you said, maybe he's 5'11", 190. I don't know. But like, yeah, man, at the next level, it just even I know I knew Will Anderson. Will Anderson didn't hit him in practice every day, and and I know he goes up against the SEC like D line stuff like that. But my God, like that's that's got to be a concern. It's my primary. It's a size thing. That's all. And Will Anderson, I don't have any of these issues size wise. If, if you told me that the Falcons came away, well, he, he doesn't play quarterback, Lose. No, I know. But what I'm saying is, if I came away with a quarterback this draft. I know I'm not going to be good. I know I'm going to get probably four or five wins. I've got Marcus Mariota. It's a stopgap. I'm going to be in the Will Anderson sweepstakes. Okay. That's I'm going to be in it next year. If I'm the Falcon. Yep. So so you think you just go ahead and build around Malik. That's the only one I'm comfortable with in this draft. That's the only one. If if you told me that you end up, I don't want to spend a second round pick on a quarterback or a third round pick on a quarterback, probably going to end up having to do it anyway. I would prefer get the best player available at eight. That's that's what they do. And that might be Malik Willis. It might be Charles Cross. We'll see. It might be Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, but that's the plan. Oh, Just get God. yourself five good players and let's go. Yeah, shame, he's shame on be Thibodeau. Yeah, I'm, no, he's, he's not one of my favorites. I, I like I like Ojabo even better. But now with the torn Achilles, that's right. that's a concern for me. It's it it goes. <laughs> I even like Walker on par with Hutchinson. Okay, that's that's how much I'm a fan of that man's yeah. size and what he's able to do. Yeah, shame, shame on you guys though for not believing in Marcus Mariota. Third time's the charm here. All right, this is this is this is when he's going to finally bloom. Uh, it, it, his uh, time. No, you know what it does? It flashes me back to it. I'm going to training camp. It's 2007. I'm driving through PETA protesters, and I'm going to watch Joey Harrington play quarterback for the Falcons. Oh, okay, what a time and, to be alive. Yeah, they called. They, they they said let's go get the Oregon product to save us. I'm like, I flash back to that moment again. The Oregon product will save us. There you go. Yeah, Bobby, yeah. And, it's about the and, same and, time too. Like because Harrington was done in 2000, 2000, 2001. Yeah. Good God, I can tell you right now, there's just nothing from the state of Oregon that ever ever lives up to the hype. And I just that you know, I'm a little bit biased, but I just I'll stand by that statement till the day I die. So. <laughs> and, you, and, and you even got the great Bob Petrino leading the way at that time too. It was so. a mess. Ooh. It was a mess yeah. that year. Oh, they're oh. so lucky they got Ryan the next year. Yep. Um, quickly before we move on, I, I got to jump back to Freeman real quick because we didn't talk a lot about it a lot last week. Dan, you're on the Braves organization quite a bit. Um, what happened there? Because yeah, from uh, from the outside, and I and I will say I listened to the the great interview that 680 got with Chipper. Mm. That was an incredible interview, by the way. I mean, it was at time you could tell how frustrated he was with the whole situation. But I felt like there was a lot of frustration with Freddie and more so his agent than anything. What what happened with all that? Well, I think kind of building off what Chipper said, I I think that probably the number one thing you have to talk about is that it was going back to what Chipper said. If you want to play in Atlanta, then play in Atlanta. And he goes back to the contract offer that I guess he got last year during the season, what, 5 and 135, I think it was. And he turned it down. And it was, I think, more or less Chipper saying to him, that's not a way to show that you want to be here. Like, I get Mm -hmm. that if you want to say not quite where I want to be, but let's work on this and let's work towards something. And I agree with Chipper. I I think that, you know, what really started to fracture this was the fact that they knew that he was starting to dance with other people on the dance card. And when that happened, I think that Alex Anthopoulos and the organization said, hey, look, you know, if we want to use the musical chairs analogy, I'm not going to be stuck not having a chair. I'm going to find a chair and it's not going to be Anthony Rizzo. It's not going to be any of these other guys. It's going to be somebody that we can not only go after and that can, you know, if the production drops off a little bit and all the advanced analytics, whatever, that's fine. But it's going to be somebody that's going to be one of the tops at their position and also controllable. Because if there's one thing we know that Alex Anthopoulos wants, he either wants short-term deals or he wants long-term controllable in nature contracts with players who are even younger. And that's what they found in Matt Olson. And look, credit to the Braves for saying, hey, look, we're not going to wait on you. You have proven to us that you want the best of both worlds. And the problem is, you know, I think we all know in life, when you try to play the best of both worlds, more often than not, it doesn't work out. It doesn't work out in your favor. Well, this is still a, a, an issue of representation. And, and that's what it came down to, where Freddie obviously wanted to be here. 
He wanted a sixth year. That was important to him. He wasn't going to get it. And, and as Dan alludes to, they offered him five and 135. He didn't take it. Fine. They come out of the lockout situation. They offer him five and 140. And their entire thing is get back to us. Let us know. You know, give us an answer on this. When Freddie Freeman and his agency issued the ultimatum to Alex Anthopoulos, they did not have enough. They did not have another offer. There was not one from Toronto. Toronto kicked oh, wow. the tires. Tampa was talking about five and 140 the same way. And the Dodgers hadn't made an offer. So you gave an ultimatum to the best general manager in all of baseball that you're either going to lose this guy or you're going to be with Anthony Rizzo. And he said, no, I'm not. And so by the time that you now have Matt Olson into a, you know, eight year deal with a nine year option at 168 million and Freddie ends up taking a six year deal for 140 million. Cause the next 26 million is deferred. He took six and one forty with a deferment of another twenty six million. He lost. That. He lost. That's it's it's it, that's bad representation. Well, also explain this to people too, because like we we know and we've addressed this many times on this podcast. Um, some people that I live with have also addressed it while listening to the podcast. I'm not great with money, but when you talk about like <laughs> the five for one fifty versus the six for one sixty two, right? Just getting an extra twelve million. Explain why that's so important that he could have gotten a six year because because baseball contracts are all guaranteed. Correct. They're all fully guaranteed. Yes. Uh, right. the, so if the, you get 162, I get that. But if you're talking about the difference between, and, and also like the follow up to that, like, do you think any of this had to do with the fact that Freddie started reading like his own headlines? And, and like, I know that Twitter is like we said earlier, not a real place. But at this point, you have the entire city that's like, just resign him, just resign him. This shouldn't be a big deal. And like, it, everyone's team Freddie. Do you think any of that factored into why they didn't get him as well? I think the analytics tells you that now that we're out of the steroid era where guys are not 37 and hitting 40 home runs anymore, driving in 120 RBIs, guys now age like the rest of us. Okay. Once you get outside of your prime, which typically in baseball is 28 to 32, you might be fortunate with a couple of years after that. Once you're past 35, this, everything starts to drop. And when you're being paid prime dollars to not be that prime player anymore, that's a factor in Atlanta or in Tampa or in several different places, not in LA. They got plenty of money. They'll fix their problem. And so that's where Alex Anthopoulos was adamant about, I'm going to five years. You can play till 37. Then we'll address it here. 38. That means I might be saddled with two years of bad baseball at 27 to 28 million per can't have it. Instead. I now have Matt Olson under control until what 36 at, at 22 million. That was the math of it. That's what he did. And so that's, again, just talking about the money angle, he just did not want to be saddled with when the normal aging process kicks in with a 27 to $30 million player. I mean, this is my opinion on it though. Like I I think that what Freddie, to your point, you know, Chris about the, you know, the fans on Twitter and everything, you know, resign, resign Freddie, resign Freddie. I think in his mind, kind of the best of both worlds is he thought I can go dance with the Yankees. I can go dance with the Red Sox. I can go dance with the Dodgers and eventually they're going to come back and they're going to swoop me up because they're going to be like, we can't lose Freddie Freeman. If we do, we're going to have a mutiny on our hands. Well, Alex Anthopoulos said, not only am I not going to have a mutiny on my hands, I'll just go find a way to replace you. And that's how we're going to do it. If this is the game that you want to play, we don't have to get emotional. We don't have to get angry about it. I just need to do my job and I need to be able to make sure that I put the best organization and the best team on the field to be able to get back to that ultimate goal. And that's what he did and going to get uh, Matt Olson. What do you make of him being so emotional, Alex, when he was talking about it? I mean, clearly there was probably a major disagreement and he probably took offense to the ultimatum or whatever. But I mean, clearly there was some heartfelt behind that, too. To me, that's what told the story about maybe there was a real problem with the agent more so than Freddie himself. I don't know. What do you think about the whole Anthopolis reaction in that first presser? So when you're Alex Anthopolis and you get the first opportunity in Toronto, and you take the shot because that's what he did. He made a bunch of big deals and he took the shot and it didn't work out. And so then he gets kind of, you know, ownership wants him to do some different things and he decides he doesn't. So he ends up in LA and he is there for a while before he comes to the Braves. The ultimate thing for anyone is being able to win a championship. Like that shows I am a quality GM. I'm now a championship GM. And Freddie was a big part of that for him. Like that validates his career. That validates everything about him moving forward. And so to have to move on from that guy because of circumstance, I firmly believe he was upset about it because he can look at it and say, the reason why I got this thing done, the culmination of my career was a big part because of number five. And I have to move on from it. That's that, that makes you emotional. That sucks. 
Well, I mean, and that's it. I mean, it's a guy that really, for the most part, had done everything right in this organization and was so well-liked across the board, even to the fact where you've got players on the parade uh, rally day who are dropping the mic saying, re-sign Freddie. I mean, that just shows you just how these guys felt about him and just how much of a cornerstone he was to this organization. So, yeah, there is some emotion there. I mean, you know, it's not only from him. I mean, you didn't see the tears from Brian Snitker, but when Zach Klein of WSB-TV in Atlanta asked him about it, he was kind of caught off guard. Like, he was just like, well, we knew that this could be a possibility, but now we're kind of faced with it. And then, you know, that was the interesting thing of being down there last week, too, at spring training was – that being able to ask the guys now that there's closure to this, like, is that like the completely like closed chapter of this book? And some of them said, yeah, it is. I mean, he's there now. We've got a good team here and we'll go about our business and we'll probably see him in October. Yeah. I mean, the bottom line is you still got to go out there and at some point cross over that fucking white line. And, and I mean, you got it. Well, you don't, I don't know if you have 162 games to play. So, but you have to like step in the box and you have to play baseball, right? Like, I mean, you got, you got to move on. Like trades happen, all that kind of stuff happens, but like you are the defending world series champions. And that's something the city has not been able to say in a very, very long time. Well, um, well that, and let me point that out. Cause that was to the Buster only article of one executive said they can't go out there with Joey bag of donuts at first base. They're in the championship mm-hmm. business. And so Olson projects to probably 40 and 110, 120. You, that's that's what it is. That's what he's supposed to be in this ballpark. Love that is absurd. All right. Well, I'm gonna get a couple of predictions from you guys. Way early predictions. <laughs> Let's start with the Falcons here. Where do they go in the draft? This is just you know I'm not gonna hold you to these predictions here. But where do they go in the draft? What does their year look like next year? And and where are they picking in the next draft? Uh, top five is where they're gonna pick next year. <laughs> uh, again, you were. The, the reason why I point this out, and it's not because of just Matt Ryan being gone. Next year for this upcoming season, you are going to play the AFC North and the NFC West. So you are going to see the best division in all the NFC <laughs> along with your division. And now you're going to be playing an AFC North that, all right, they're going to have Pittsburgh and they're going to have Lamar and you're going to have to deal with maybe Watson. We don't know. We'll see. Um, that, that's a recipe for, oh my God, this is going to be a real tough one. And by the way, the magic vegan went back to Tampa. You got him twice in a row. You still got to deal with Jameis. I mean, th- this is going to be a tough one with, but the quarterback you're going to go with or whoever you're going to play with, if it's Mariota for me, uh, I'm, I'm thinking I'm getting more on the, the left tackle pass rusher or Malik Willis train at quarterback and, and have him take his year. The next year at 2023, you're going to have about a hundred million dollars in cap space. So, wow. so put together a good core, get these young guys playing, get pits another year, get, get your, your quarterback of the future and then load it up with some good veterans, and then let's go hunt. I love it. Um, I, go ahead. I got two for you as well. <laughs> All right, Dan, let me, let, me, let me ask you this. How do you think the Braves do? I think their over-under is 91 and a half in Vegas. Um, obviously, the East is kind of starting to stack a bit of talent. Um, the Mets are basically willing to spend on whatever. You've got some yeah, powerhouse teams. Yeah, oh, yeah. that shit. What happened there? It's yeah. like in November. Yeah. Basically, as yeah. soon as as soon as we hit the offseason, they're like, You want to come yeah. here for a bunch of money? Let's do yeah. it. Uh obviously He's the breaking Dodgers. down. Don't worry. He's breaking down. You're, it's gonna be fine. I'm breaking down. I don't want to get all breaking down. <laughs> well, Jock took I mean, him deep though. Yeah. So yeah. so how do you how, what do you think that happens uh, for the Braves? I, to me, the way I look at it right now, lineup obviously set. I'm a little concerned about the starting pitching right now as it stands today. Well, I mean, you got to find, you know, spots four and five in the rotation and who knows, I mean, maybe even four and five aren't even here yet uh, where, you know, you might make a trade, you might have somebody who isn't going to fit somewhere else and fits in those spots here. Um, we'll see how it all shakes out. I mean, I know that uh, Kyle Muller looked pretty good yesterday. I know that uh, Tuki Toussaint had his ups and downs. He's probably going to be a bullpen guy, but I think this Braves team, you know, it's going to be a little bit different than what we saw last year, where this is a bullpen that believes now. And if you're able to get these starters with the DH and able to get them five, six innings, you know, somewhere in that spot, you're going to have plenty of arms to come out of that bullpen. If you are at tied or maybe even just trailing just a little bit uh, with a lead, uh, to be able to close out some of those games and keep yourself in it. So that's going to be huge. I, the number I have for them is 94. Uh, I think that they do win 94 games, and I think they win the East again. And probably you're looking at them and the Dodgers being the two Ooh. best teams in the National League this year. So, uh, you know, maybe we can buckle up and, and have another uh, great uh, run at the uh, the Dodgers and the NLCS 
and uh, have uh, an NLCS that uh, has been uh, pretty awesome the last couple of years. Uh, last year was even better. So uh, this is a yeah. Braves team that's got a, a bright season ahead. We'll see uh, how uh, the back end of that rotation uh, rotation uh, shakes out for them. And also, so we got we brought you guys on here. Um, we'll talk to you guys afterwards about like since you came on our podcast and we're giving you guys all this free promotion. Like, if you want to throw us some free tickets, like we, I mean, just we'll talk about that afterwards. Whatever. Los, Los um, is your guy. Los is your guy. Yeah, or, or even got, just you, lunch at, at El Felix up there. I don't really give a shit. I love tacos too, so it's fine. Chuck, so, you, uh, Chuck, Chuck is your guy for that. <laughs> so oh yeah, you you don't want to eat with me. I'm the I'm the other crazy vegan around here. We're so. going to lunch at some point, like very soon, as soon as I can get my shit together. You're gonna you're gonna enjoy some tofu, brother. <laughs> oh God, I'm not, but it's fine. Uh, no, okay, so here's my question for you. This piggybacks off the, the Dodgers saying, um, settle an argument. The Dodgers are the Braves' rival. Uh, yeah, but here's uh, the deal. I, no, damn it. No, no, and, and here's why. Because the Dodgers are basically, they're the advanced, like if you were to fast forward the Braves five years, that's where the Braves are. The Dodgers have basically been in this contention business now for about eight seasons going on nine seasons where the window opened up for them and they got one yeah. title. And by the way, they got the bubble title. All right. They didn't get the real. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. That's fair. We'll go with that. Now the Braves, it opened up for them a little bit in 2018. Okay. It took you until year four and now you got yours. It took them until like year seven or eight. So you're just a, a younger evolution of what the Dodgers are right now anyway. And when you play them in the past two NLCSs and it comes down to the, the run to the world series goes through these two teams. Okay. That's, that's a rival. That, that's, that's back now to the nineties. It's definitely like the main rival. Like, cause I, I just still consider like the Mets, the yeah. Phillies and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Oh. Like that's, that's your rival. Are you, are you, are you talking, so you're talking about in the division. I, I think I'm actually probably... in general, like, who is their main rival? Well, the, I mean, no, that changes like right now. Yeah, I was gonna it's, say, the it's the Dodgers. The, the, the yeah. Dodgers is, is the, the person that is, uh, they're your gatekeeper. I mean, for instance, we could say Georgia. Oh, well, I mean, their rival is like Florida. It's Auburn. No, it's not. Mm -hmm. It's Alabama. It was always right. going to have to be Alabama if they wanted to accomplish their goals. And, and that's that's what it it's now changes. A win over, and Chris, you know this, a win in November over Auburn really shouldn't be that big a deal anymore. You're no, hunting for bigger things. And that that's the right. thing, same thing. The, the Braves beating up and taking three out of four from the Mets should not be that big a deal anymore. It's got to be what happens in the playoffs versus the best teams in baseball, and that's the Dodgers. Well, right. and, and, sure. and to bring it all like full circle too, I mean, how crazy is it that both rises to championships for both the Braves and the Dogs last year were so similar? Because I think we can agree the Dodgers were kind of the Alabama to the Braves mm -hmm. being Georgia. I mean, it was that, you know, you can't beat them in the postseason, no matter how hard you try, no matter what you do, you're just not going to beat them. And then they finally did. Right. So I almost wonder too, if that's like, you know, I guess time will tell with Georgia if now that kind of shows them that whenever they see Alabama and Nick Saban on the other sideline, it's not going to be a, oh crap moment that it's going to be a, Hey, we're just as good as them. Maybe we're even better than those guys. And I almost wonder if those six games last year for the Braves against the Dodgers, even going out to LA, a place they don't do well. And at least taking one of those games and bringing it back to Shrewis park for a chance to clinch it. Yeah. It was to them where they said, we're not afraid of these guys anymore. They, yeah. They've right. still got Kershaw. They've still got Walker Bueller and all those guys, but we've got the guys that we have. We, we can very much go toe to toe with these guys and beat them. In my opinion, I think it's more of like a that scene from Home Alone from the Georgia standpoint where where Kevin uh, comes out from under the blankets. He's like, did you hear me? I'm not afraid anymore. There you did go. Did you hear that? <laughs> and then all of a sudden he sees that guy with the fucking snowshoes on and that giant uh, whatever, like, I, I don't pail? know. What, yeah, the giant pail and the shovel. And then he like, runs back <laughs> in. That's basically Will Anderson's like, no, I'm still fucking here. Uh, and, you know, and I tell you what, I'm excited for it just to get the trash talk going. All I know is no matter what happens in that game, they better fucking pray there's not a single injured player out for that game or that gets injured in that game because I'm going to be merciless and I can't wait. It's going to be well, great. I, but this is the problem I have with Bryce Young as, a, as an NFL quarterback. You know, once he loses his top two guys, he can't win a game. Not against the best defense in cultural history. Yeah, that was tough. That was tough to do. I mean, I, I think or, that was, or, uh, or Sunday afternoon against Jacksonville. I mean, you, you lose him. You can't win anybody. You can't beat anybody, right? I don't know if that's entirely true, but you know we'll, we'll save that for another time because my blood pressure is getting raised and we got to send this link to Dan. Yeah, that that old man made uh, Kevin McAllister a criminal too. So yeah, you know he he did he did repay him later on, but you know that's the whole thing. I always love that he looks at the toothpaste. I'm a criminal. There's so there's so many flaws and holes in that movie. Don't even get me started on the second one. But um, guys, thank you so much for joining us. This is great. Or Tyler, do you have anything else? 
No, I just I think uh, if you guys are you like the Braves and you want to hear a little bit yeah. about the Freeman thing, go check out the uh, I think it's in podcast form now, right? Oh yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Chipper Jones interview. I'm assuming mm-hmm. you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Go check it out. I mean, Chipper is always a, a guy that shoots from the hip and and says exactly you know what he believes. But in this one, I mean, if you're looking for any context to this situation. Wow. I mean, like, that's the only yeah. thing I can say. It's just, wow. Go listen to it. Well worth your time. And tell everyone where they can find y'all as well. Los? Uh, all you have to do, if you want to always check us out on a regular basis, we're over on 680 The Fan. Uh, the cool part is you can always download the app if you want to hear more of my show. Uh, that's from 6 to 8 every evening, the Audio Fun Bag podcast. And I've got a regional show that's going to be starting next month uh, on the Congrats, Southern Sports man. Today. Thank you. On the Southern Sports Today radio network. I'll be, uh, I'll be working with Dan on that one, too. So nice. that'll Love be it. a lot of fun. We'll be uh, we'll be showing up all, all over the place, including Atlanta, Gainesville, Jacksonville. I don't know. We'll see who uh, who all wants to hear from Dan and I. But uh, that's the plans moving forward. You can always check out uh, all, us on the Six Eight of the Fan app. And also, too, uh, you know, that because Southern Sports Today is part of uh, the Chuck Oliver Show or Chuck Oliver Show, part of that. So you can download the uh, Southern Sports Today app as well to hear Chuck, Los, me, all of us. Love mm. it. Yeah, we're all black friends. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to be our uncensored moment of the week. And um, (laughs) we will get out of it. Thanks again for joining us, dude. We we appreciate it. And we'll uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Bye.